0: I don't know about you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed what the Lord has been speaking to us the last four Sundays that I have preached this series on Table Talk as together we have examined the Lord's Table. Um, for those of you maybe who haven't gotten to be with us the last four to five weeks or uh, you're watching online today for the first time, let me bring you up to date very quickly. The first week, as we talked about uh, table talk, we talked about table manners. We're we're examining the Lord's table and getting to the Lord's table, and we looked at how that just coming to the Lord's table is not enough. We we need to have a a seat at that table and a place of commitment, and we need to learn how to have table manners. We need to learn how we're supposed to seated at the Lord's table, how we're supposed to behave, and how we're supposed to act. Then we examined what Jesus had to say about the table and. In particular, what he had to say about our dinner guest. And last week, we considered the full course meal. Um, well, week before last, sorry. We, we looked at the table in heaven. And that was so exciting. It's still so exciting today to think about that table in heaven and what that's going to look like and what that's going to be like. But at the same time, it's so concerning to think about the folks that have not yet made their reservation For their seat at that table in heaven And then last week we considered The full course meal if you will That's available to everybody That has a seat at the Lord's table The word tells us Where the spirit of the Lord is There is what? Freedom There's liberty, there's freedom And we talked about that part of the meal That many folks have inadvertently chosen uh, Maybe to pass on And uh, thinking that maybe They'd already eaten until they were full And in doing so They're missing out on the sweetest course of the meal that's being offered at the Lord's table. Uh, And we're talking about the baptism that we examined last week. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I want to encourage you today. If you are not seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, seek for it. Boy, that got quiet. If you're not seeking, seek for it. But if you are seeking and you've not yet received it, keep seeking. Because it is available to you, and if you keep seeking, you will receive it. Now, if you have questions about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I encourage you, go back and listen on the podcast or watch the video archive on YouTube or Facebook last week about that message. But today, we're going to conclude this series uh, on Table Talk. I could, could probably go on a few more weeks on some different thoughts I've had about the Lord's Table, but the Lord was very specific in speaking to me about preaching this message today, we're going to see another perspective of Jesus today and his reaction to some folks who were seated at, at the tables inside his temple. And we're going to look at that reaction. Now, this is a reaction by Jesus that the God is love crowd, mean, knows what I'm talking about. Everybody knows that crowd, right? God is love and God is love. But that crowd says, now, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus is calm Jesus doesn't get excited Jesus is, Jesus is gentle Jesus would never get angry with you you know those folks who, who say those things they, they don't know what to do with this picture of Jesus that we're going to take a good long hard look at today and this story gives the what would Jesus do crowd a run for their money literally when we examine the story. And this is not the answer that most folks are looking for when they say, what would Jesus do? Now I want you to look at this. Some of you don't know whether to laugh or laugh silently. It's kind of funny. We laugh about it, but when somebody asks, what would Jesus do? This says, remind them that flipping over tables... And chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. Now, as comical as that may seem, we're going to take a look at this story today. And I believe the Lord really wants to speak something to us through this story. So if you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to read in the book of John, chapter 2. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. We'll be reading verses 13 through 22. And in the New Living Translation, there's a header over this passage of Scripture that says, Jesus clears the temple. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said, this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. I want to preach this final message in the Table Talk series to you today. And I want to ask you the question, what would Jesus do? If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, we just thank you once again for your presence today the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth and to give and to sow into your kingdom. But God, today now comes the time for the word. And I pray, Lord, that you would move me out of the way. I'm... Like the Apostle Paul said, I truly feel like a worm and no man. So God, I ask you to decrease me that your Holy Spirit may be increased within me. And Lord, I ask today that your word would come forth. You would speak to hearts. You would touch hearts and change lives. I ask you to anoint the ear of every hearer and the heart of every receiver, God, to both hear and receive your word to your church today. And we will give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for the change that it will bring about in us and in the culture and the world around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. In our text today, we see that it was about the time for the Jewish Passover festival in Jerusalem. So allow me to give you a little background on this. As a matter of fact, in the very first verse, it reads that it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So... Jesus went to Jerusalem. Um, The Passover was, and it still is actually, the greatest of all Jewish festivals. It was mandated at that time that every male who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem was bound uh, by the the rule, by the law then. They were bound together in Jerusalem and worship. So They didn't have a choice as to whether or not they went to church. Think about that. And not only this, but Jews scattered all over the ancient world gathered in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Now, some Bible scholars estimate that two and a quarter million Jews assembled in Jerusalem for the Passover during the time of the life of Christ. Two million, two hundred and fifty thousand Jews gathered. And this was very significant because all of those gathered would need to have the temple tax in Jewish coinage. They Foreign currency was not accepted for the temple tax. Now let me just throw this in there for good measure. If you think preaching on tithes is hard, what if you were bound by law not only to show up for church but to bring your tithe with you? Some of y'all are silently praising the Lord for America right now. But foreign currency was not accepted for the temple tax, which means, I'm giving you that background so you'll understand the story here because I've never heard it preached uh, the way I'm going to preach it this morning. You've probably never heard it preached this way either, but if you do some deep study on this, you'll learn some things. That means that there was actually a need at the temple for money changers, and not only would... All those that were coming from the outlying territories need to visit the tables of the money changers for local currency. They would also need to purchase an animal appropriate for a sacrifice. Because oftentimes it was not practical to travel great distances with the appropriate sacrificial livestock in tow. And there was no means by which for them to convert their currency into Jewish coinage before they got there. So it was far more feasible to simply buy the sacrifice and convert the money upon their arrival to the city. So the point is, the fact that there were actually money changers in the temple and other people selling various animals for sacrifice at the temple gates, that was not unusual. It was not forbidden. Uh, indeed, um, It was laid out, actually, in the Talmud, which I'm not endorsing the Talmud, but the Talmud is the accepted teachings of the Jewish rabbis, and we are talking about a Jewish festival known as Passover. So it was laid out in the Talmud that there not only should be money changers, but that they also, get this, should be permitted to make a small profit, what they called a kolubos, for their time. Uh, so the money changers or the, the uh as well as those selling cattle, sheep, and doves that Jesus talks about in verse 14 that we read today, they were not at all that unusual and they were in fact welcomed and they were even necessary to what was taking place and what was going on at the temple at the time of Passover. And the fact that there were likely a whole lot more than usual because it, it was... Uh, the time that the extra Jews had to arrive from the outlying territories and they had to pay their temple tax. So there was a lot more than usual that were coming in. It doesn't make it at all that unusual that there were multiple money-changing tables uh, and in the temple gates and multiple places by which you could purchase an animal for sacrifice because they were coming to purchase that animal and to worship and to give their uh, temple tax or their offering uh, or their tithe, if you will, to the Lord. So it was actually a, a pretty grand and exciting setting that we come to in the scripture reading today because the temple, and I find this as I preach this so not ironic, I find it Uh, destiny, that right now we are completing a new temple, if you will, for ourselves to worship in. And so it was a pretty grand and exciting setting that we come to here today because the temple had finally been refurbished, and that's actually what we're doing to a building. It had been rebuilt again. It was 46 years in the making. Somebody ought to praise God right now, it ain't going to take us 46 years to get in that new church, right? It was 46 years in the making, according to verse 20. And over 2 million people, I want you to get this picture, had gathered from far and wide to celebrate the goodness of God during the Passover. It was the highest of high times, the Passover. Folks were paying up their temple tax and they were purchasing appropriate and acceptable sacrifices and they were worshiping. So things were looking pretty good actually in Jerusalem. The community was bustling because uh, the tax revenue and, and all of the tourists that came to town. And there were sacrifices being given in worship to the one true God was being offered up and taking place. And there was prosperity And this was a a great, Jerusalem was a great and a holy city. And its holiest of holy places, the temple, uh, was brand new, refurbished. It was a great day and a great time. But as we see, see soon in this passage of Scripture, this is not at all how Jesus saw it. Jesus was disappointed. And Jesus was frustrated. And verse 15 of of our main text today paints the picture of a pretty dramatic scene. In verse 15 we see that Jesus made a whip out of some ropes and he chased them, how many? All. All the worshipers out of the temple. He drove out the sheep, he drove out the cattle, he scattered the money changers coins all over the floor and he turned over their tables It's a very passionate, hands-on, angry almost, if you will, picture of Jesus that we find in John's Gospel today. And we do well to remember that this likely, with Jesus, was not a sudden knee-jerk reaction. Because I don't believe that Jesus had sudden knee-jerk reactions. Now you and I do, and that's how we mess stuff up. Somebody say, oh me. if You can't say amen. But I don't believe Jesus had sudden knee-jerk reactions. Jesus, most Bible scholars will tell you if you study this story, had likely been visiting the temple day in and day out during this season of Passover for a few days, and his eyes were watching everything that was going on and observing everything that was happening inside the temple until finally, on this day, he had done, took all he could take. And he decided it was time to act. It was time to disrupt. It was time to reorient the focus of the activities that were going on in the temple. I want you to stay with me this morning because I'm going somewhere. And it's a pretty powerful and dramatic image. We see Jesus. It's almost hard to even picture this. Jesus with a whip in his hand. And he's driving out animals and driving out people. And he's scattering and slinging Jewish coinage all over the place. And he's flipping over and turning over tables almost in a rage. And Jesus would not do something this dramatic and this powerful and this meaningful just on a whim or a knee-jerk reaction. He likely had been observing for a while what was taking place at that temple. And I believe he pondered his approach. But then he acted. Because there comes a time when God will act. And so then he acted. And things had obviously gone way far off track for the way Jesus saw that they should be for him to act so dramatically and so decisively on this day. As a matter of fact, this might be the most striking image of Jesus that you will find recorded anywhere in the scripture. We see Jesus after the crucifixion. Now this was post, or pre-crucifixion. We see him after the crucifixion, actually post-resurrection and he's walking around, and that's pretty dramatic when a guy who was killed just three days ago was up walking around and you physically see him. But it's not as though he just jumped down from that cross and he marched back into the town square. In that story, he was buried and he was in the tomb for three long days and nights before he mysteriously emerged from the grave and the stone somehow was rolled away and the tomb was empty. You know the whole story. But here in John's Gospel today, we find him with a whip in his hand, driving out animals, slinging coins everywhere, turning over tables. In my mind, I see money, feathers, and fur flying everywhere. Can you just picture that? Clearly he was not happy, and clearly he felt that he had to act. He had seen this long enough, and he had to act. And I want you to remember that the money changers and the sacrifice sellers, the handlers of the livestock, they were necessary. They were needful. And they were not only permitted, but they were welcomed into the temple. So for us to find this reaction, it's, it's almost fascinating. So Jesus comes into the temple courts, and he puts on quite a show that day. I mean, flipping over tables. Scattering coins and driving out animals and people. And their response to him was what? Verse 18 said, but the Jewish leaders demanded. They do that a lot today with Jesus. They demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. In other words, what kind of sign can you show us, Jesus, to prove your authority? And imagine Jesus saying, now if you ever thought I preached hard, Imagine Jesus saying, get out of here. Standing in the temple in front of the worshipers. You get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And with a whip in hand, he scatters coins, he turns over tables, and he drives every single animal and person out of the temple. Think about that. And then their response was what? Show us a sign. Prove your authority. With with what Jesus did pre-crucifixion, it would have been perfectly acceptable had the local authorities came and handcuffed Jesus and arrested Him right then and there. Would have been perfectly acceptable. And there were a lot of visitors. Hundreds upon thousands, if you will, perhaps even of visitors. And there was a great need. For those bankers, those money changers, and those farmers. There was a great need for the Pastor Shans and the John Martins. Somebody say amen. There was a great need for them in the temple. (laughs) Janelle said, oh Jesus. But in order for them to meet the Jewish tax requirements, in order for them to do what was lawful for them to do, there was a need for them. But they didn't arrest Jesus. They didn't lead him away. Instead, they simply ask him, what can you show us to prove your authority? In other words, they were saying, well, wait just a minute. Maybe he's on to something. Let's see what else he's got in store for us today. But of course, when Jesus answers like he does, saying that he can raise the temple up in three days, they soon decide that they're not on the same page as Jesus after all. And that His authority is likely a little bit questionable with what He says because they're imagining bricks and mortar, the stones and the steps of the, near, the newly 46 years making uh, of the temple. Whereas Jesus is talking about flesh and blood bones and sinews, he's talking about his body. And so right then and there, hear your pastor today, right then and there, there's a great divide that was established between what Jesus was talking about and what the culture he lived in thought he meant. Did you hear me? Let me say that again. There began a great divide right then and there between what Jesus was actually talking about and what the culture that he lived in thought that he meant. As Jesus stood in the temple courts that day nobody truly recognized him for who he was or what he was about to do. God's son the soon-to-be-revealed Messiah uh, that they were all waiting for, the Savior of the world, the Restorer of Justice, God's great rescue plan for mankind was standing right before them. But when He spoke about the temple, they thought about stones instead of body and soul. When He spoke about power and influence, they thought about force and might instead of service and love. Jesus just did not overturn the tables in the temple courts that day. On that day, he began the great cosmic act of overturning expectations for the church as we know it today. Overturning assumptions, overturning possibilities, overturning perceptions. Nobody's going to help me preach on this, but overturning the church's priorities and all that the people held near and dear. Jesus is the great table overturner and then some. I've heard Pastor Dwight when he preaches many times before say ask the Lord to wreck us. Anybody ever heard him say that? God come down and wreck us tonight. Turn us upside down. I've heard him speak that before. Can I tell you that we need God to turn the church upside down today. I said we need God to come in and wreck us and to cause us to reprioritize to turn over our table to change our methods and our plans and give us direction for His way and not our way. Jesus is the great Savior and then some. See, everybody wants Him to be a Savior, but not everybody wants Him to control anything beyond that, right? Jesus is the great Lord and then some. He's not just the Lord of your life when everything in your life is going right. Did you hear me? I said, he's not just the Lord of your life when everything in your life is going right. He's got to be the Lord of your life when everything in your life is going wrong. When all hell is breaking loose, he's still got to be the Lord of your life. And very early on in his ministry, we see, at least according to John's gospel, we have this great dramatic public act of overturning and reversing, a sign of what was to come. But the people, the people couldn't see it. People didn't understand what he said when he talked about the temple. The people didn't understand. They said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? After he acted, they asked. See, what had happened was, the this is one of the main points I'm going to make today. The money changers, although they were doing what they were supposed to do, they had obscured the true function of, and the meaning of the temple. It had become more about their function than it had the act of giving the tithe and offering the sacrifice. They had made their function more important, more prominent. And so they had obscured the true function of the temple and the temple courts began to look like just about any other place in town. Somebody help me preach this morning. The same attitudes and the same practices and the same concerns that were found outside in the marketplaces and in the streets of town. Those same attitudes about how the world operates. Those same attitudes had began to creep in to the temple courts on their way inside the holiest of holies. The very temple itself. And Jesus was not about to sit idly by and just watch it happen. Because See, the temple represented something. There was reverence and there was awe for the temple because the mystery and the beauty and the wonder, the understanding that the temple, this temple, that temple was a place of God. It was a place where God's presence resided. That temple, when you walked from the world, inside the temple, there was a noticeable difference and a noticeable climate change from the world. To the temple The temple was distinct The temple was pure The temple was holy The presence of God dwelt in the temple But Jesus saw the attitudes And the direction And the priorities And the practices of the world And found their way Into the temple. He saw that. The holy place of God was eroding away. The holy. Grace filled. God given temple. Listen to your pastor this morning. Was well on its way. To becoming just another one of the overcrowded. Profit driven market stalls. In the bustling city of Jerusalem. See. Let me tell you something this morning. The church, there there is business of the church that has to be conducted. But the church is not a business. Did you hear me? When we we do what we do, even financially, we do it on faith in Jehovah Jireh because God is my provider. See, in in the business world, you don't do much on faith. Matter of fact, take it from a banker. I won't loan you no money on your faith. I'd lose my job if I did. Hope you got some. But it won't stand good as collateral. But in the church, we don't operate the way we operate in the world. Are you with me this morning? So the church, the temple was well on its way to becoming just another overcrowded, profit-driven market stall In this bustling city of Jerusalem. See, there was ceasing to be anything different and distinct and holy about the temple. Can I ask you this morning, isn't that the same way it is in the church today? I don't know if anybody will help me preach or not. But we're living in a day and a time, folks, where there's no distinction between the church and the world. Mm -hmm. There's There's no standard of holiness anymore. Does anybody else besides me, I mean I said it at 8.45, I'm not going to cut you any slack, I'm going to say it here too. Does anybody else besides me just have trouble sometimes understanding things in this world? I mean sometimes, I don't understand, it, it puzzles me, it, 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 it baffles me that sometimes people will be on social media asking you to pray for God to send them a mate. But then next week they're on social media exposing their, you know what, in the old church, I'm just going to say this, I didn't say this at 845, my wife will probably die. They taught us when we were young to cover the three B's. Anybody know what the three B's are? Your boobs, your back, and your butt. Somebody says, Lord, have mercy, he didn't just do that. I'm going to tell you in a minute why I have to be plain Because the next week they're on social media exploiting the three B's, trying to catch that mate. Or this week, they're on social media asking everybody to pray for them for a situation to work out. And next week, they're showing you all the help they found in a glass of booze. Hello? There's no distinction between the church and the world anymore. There's nothing that makes us look any different. But there's no standard of holiness anymore. And listen to your pastor this morning. I'm not talking about whether or not you cut your hair or wear makeup. I'm not talking about the length of your hair or the length of your skirt. I'm not talking about whether you wear skirts or britches. I'm not talking about men, whether you wear long sleeves or short sleeves, long pants or short pants. I'm not talking about if you have facial hair or not. And I'm not even talking about if you pierce or if you tattoo. None of that has anything to do with the holiness I'm talking about. But holiness is a condition of the heart. Holiness is when you're consecrated. Holiness is when you're sanctified. Holiness is when you're dedicated and you live right and you walk right and you talk right and you don't just trust God today when things are easy. You've got a true relationship with Him and you trust Him even when you don't understand understand. But there's no standard of holiness in the church anymore. But Hebrews 12 and 14 says holiness without which no man shall see God. That's what Hebrews 12 and 14 says. But I'm afraid the church has abandoned the standard of holiness in an attempt to market ourselves to the world. Did you hear me? And instead of Presenting the gospel just as it is written and giving folks the opportunity to accept Jesus on his terms or reject him, we've lost our standards and our vision has become blurred. You know what we're doing? The church world today, we're trying to market the church and sell it to the world on their terms. Instead of presenting the gospel and letting them come to Jesus on His terms. See, we brought our dirt in. Instead of coming in dirty where there's holy water to get cleansed, we brought our dirt in and mixed it a little bit with the water. And when we've done that, the water's now murky. Anybody know what murky is? Go home and take you a bottle of water. Sprinkle just a little bit of dirt down in it and stir it up. It's no longer clear anymore. You can't see to the bottom of it anymore. What are you saying, pastor? I'll tell you what I'm saying. I'm saying our condoning of sin has blurred our vision, and it's taken away our ability to focus, and things aren't clear anymore. Everything has become murky, it's become cloudy, and it's become foggy, and there used to be a saying that we had in the old church. I don't know who said it, but an old preacher one time said this, a mist in the pulpit results in a fog in the pew. Did you hear me? A mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. What do you? What does that mean? That means in other words, it needs to be plain from here. That means it needs to be precise from here. That means it needs to be outspoken from here. That means it needs to be forthright and bold from here in order to be understood out there. It doesn't mean, yes, it means we need to love everybody, but it doesn't mean in an attempt to love everybody, we make them think that they're okay with their sin. Did you hear? Me? It doesn't mean in an attempt to love everybody that we mislead them and we misrepresent the gospel and we allow them to think that they're on their way to heaven when in fact if they don't repent, if there is not an acknowledgement of the sin in their life, they're not at all on their way to heaven. And God's saying, that is not what my church is to be. My church is to make it clear. My church is to make it plain. My church. It's to be different than the world. I shared with the 845 crowd this morning, and I don't know. Maybe this young man may even be watching today, but my heart gets ripped out of me sometimes when I'm scrolling through social media. Because there's a young man that's younger than me, but in his much younger days, he traveled with us in southern gospel music when we sang. And he was my only male help most of the time to... Load and unload the bus, the sound equipment, and the product, and all that stuff, and do all the setup, and all the tear down, all the physical labor. He was the only help I had. And today, he was raised in this. But today, he's living with, and I think maybe even married to, a man. But he's regularly speaking in a pulpit in a Presbyterian church. And even his family in an attempt to love him, lets him think it's okay. That rips my heart out of me. It's not my intent to hurt him. It's not my intent, God knows, to tear him down. It's not my intent and my intent to offend him. But it rips my heart out of me. Does he think that possibly? See, here's what I read in this book. This book says that every man's ways are right in his own eyes. Sometimes you've got to have the eyes of God shed some light on your eyes. So that you'll see that your ways are not right. There's another passage of scripture that says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That means it might look okay. That means people might accept it. That means people in the church might tell you it's okay. That means they might do it with you. But you listen to this preacher this morning. If God's word said it's wrong, I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care how much they love on you. I don't care how comfortable they make You feel, if God's word said it's wrong, it's still wrong. And we've turned the church into another overcrowded place that's no different than the marketplaces outside the world. Can I ask you, and listen, I'm normal. That's a shock to some of you. I'm a normal guy. I, our church has a great name in this town. I thank God all the time. has a great name actually in this tri-county area. Some of you from London know that people know about this church in Corbin. Some of you from Williamsburg know that people know about this church in Corbin. And I thank God all the time that our church has a great name. And yes, I'm normal. I want whosoever will to come. I want everybody to come. I want it to be filled up. I want us to fill that new sanctuary, not one service but at least two services every Sunday. I want us to fill it to capacity. I want all of that but I want to tell you something. the Holy Spirit keeps reminding me, don't be focused on getting a thousand in the building if you're only taking a hundred to heaven. Don't be focused on getting 300 in the building. If only 30 amongst that crowd are on their way to heaven, be focused about the life changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, in walks Jesus, and that outspokenness from the pulpit, and I gotta hurry, is exactly what happened in the temple that day. Him walks Jesus, and what's he doing? He's restoring holiness, he's restoring right and true and faithful and just focus. Focus to his church again, turning things over and setting them upright. But of course it goes a whole lot farther than just this too. Jesus wasn't just restoring a sense of correctness and appropriateness to the temple in John's gospel today. He was also turning that on its head as well. He was ushering in the new reality of his way and the new covenant. And see, just as The people are misguided in wanting a sign from Jesus in order to prove his authority. And just as they are misguided about what he means by rebuilding the temple, thinking that he's talking about the stones and the brick and the mortar instead of flesh and blood, they're misguided by all that he ushers forth and brings in, the fulfillment that is in Jesus. And so as Jesus stood in the temple courts that day, after driving out the animals and scattering the coins and turning the tables over, nobody truly recognized him or understood him for all he truly was. Nobody recognized him. For who he was. Can I tell you. I've come to the conclusion. That. I will preach. Messages. To people that never accept. They may even continue attendance. But they'll. Reject. That word. But folks I want to tell you. There will come a day. When Jesus will turn those tables over. In our lives. See, they had no idea about the magnitude nor the focus of the overturning because it wasn't just about a few coins and a couple of cattle and sheep. It was about life. All power and all authority had shifted as well. I want you to to get this today. The very foundation of that city and that culture, the whole world was shifted that day. You know why? Because Jesus' message and a new way began in one it might have began in one place in Israel. But see what through one people, the Jews. But what you're forgetting is that it very quickly moved beyond that because all of these people came from all different places into the temple. And when they dispersed the word that was deposited inside of them dispersed with them. And when it dispersed with them, the places that they went, they had an impact and an influence and a shift on the culture and the world around them. God, give us a people in the church that will allow the seed to be deposited. And we're here this morning from all walks of life, all different areas of the tri-counties assembled together. But if we'll allow the seed of the Word of God to be deposited in us, when we disperse today, it'll go with us and it'll have influence and it'll have impact on the world and the culture all around us when we take it with us. See, sometimes it takes a keen eye and a discerning heart to appreciate the Lord at work in the world and also at the church. And yes, sometimes it can be discouraging and difficult to understand. But Jesus Christ, if they come to the music today, He's forever overturning the tables of troubled hearts and misguided priorities. And he does so in ways and times and fashions that we can't always recognize or appreciate. And Just as Jesus stood in Jerusalem in that temple and observed how things had gone away from how God intended them to be. Can I tell you I believe with all my heart. He stands in the midst of the worldwide church today observing. Observing. And he expects what's taking place at the temple tables to be distinctively different from what's taking place in the world system. And just as Jesus stepped into action then, I believe, I believe the time's coming, he's going to step into action today. I believe that. Nothing that happened in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover was lost on Jesus. Did you hear me? Nothing that happens in the world or the church world today is lost on Jesus I want to tell you something I'm going to say something that's not in my notes that I said at 845 so I feel like I need to say it again it's a difficult statement to even make but things have to be clear from here let me put it as plain and simple as I can I've had to do some hard things My wife can tell you I lost sleep and cried and struggled over doing But I had to do it because I was the pastor and it was my responsibility. So let me just tell you right now, you can basically live however you want to out there and always have a seat. Welcome right here. But when you're up here or when you're teaching one of our children in Children's Church, you're held to a higher standard. And I've had to make some things clear. And people don't always, even though you do it in love, people don't always accept that. Sometimes they reject it. Sometimes they walk away. I want to tell you something. If your heart's right, God will reveal to them in their time. I've received the text messages back over over the years to prove it. Hey, Pastor, just want to let you know, I love you, and I appreciate you telling me the truth. I know it was the truth. Are they here today? No, not all of them. Some of them are. Not all of them. But are they serving the Lord today? As far as I know, they are. What are you saying? I'm saying there has to be a standard. There has to be a standard. The church has to look different from the world. There has to be a distinction. The temple has to be a holy place. Because the presence of God can't dwell in an unholy temple. So the temple has to remain holy so that God can come in and do what He wants to do. What does God want to do, Pastor? God wants to turn the tables of the tri-county area upside down for Him. God wants to send them from the north, the south, the east, and the west to receive genuine, authentic deliverance and salvation and sanctification. God wants to baptize people in the Holy Spirit that didn't even know what that was before it hit them. But He can't do it in an unclean temple. So if you'll stand with me all over the room today, I'm going to close with this. And I'm going to ask just a couple questions. The first one I'm going to ask is this. If Jesus himself walked into this temple today, this temple, what would Jesus do? What do you think he would do? Would Would he pull up a chair and dine with us at this table? Or would he start turning our tables over, scattering our coins? and running out our sacrifices now let's shift the focus first of all let me say this that temple focus though we've all got to be a part of that because if we're not God can't do what he wants to do in this place or in that place we're going to but now let's shift the focus from brick and stone let's talk about this temple see here's the deal nobody can answer for this temple except you did you hear me? You're the only person responsible for your temple. Only you can control what goes on or what goes into your temple. So if Jesus walked into your temple today, would he pull up a seat? And would he say, let's fellowship? Or would he start turning over tables, and chasing things out of your life that ought not be there? Folks. God wants to overturn some things in our lives individually. And when He does that, that's how He overturns things in the church. He wants to overturn, reprioritize, reshape us. That's His desire for all of us. He wants to purify the water. He wants to clarify the temple. But it's up to us. If all we've got to offer is murky, muddy water... All we've got to offer is a mist in the pulpit. There'll always be a fog in the pew. But it's my prayer that God would allow things to be clear when people enter this temple. Because when things are clear, they also can see clear direction for a way out. I feel the Lord when I say that. When the drug addict comes in and things are clear, they can see clear direction for a way to deliverance. When the homosexual and the lesbian comes in and things are clear, they can see clear, clear deliverance. When the alcoholic comes in, they can see a clear way to get out. When marriages are broken and homes are split up, when they come into his presence, they can see clear direction as to how to get it right and how he can put things back together again. When they come in depressed and oppressed, when things are not foggy but things are clear, they can be like, yep, that's it. There's my help right there. I'm going to go grab a hold of that help. I want this place to be a temple. God help me that is so full of the power of God that people cannot walk into it and walk out in the same condition they walked in. We need God to blow through the temple. We need God to overturn our systems. We need God to make us distinct and holy and different and life-changing. But we must respond. And as we open this altar today, I'm not going to beg you to come pray. I'm not going to guilt you for not praying. I'm simply going to say this. If you're willing to let God turn over some things in your life so He can see Him turn over some things in the church and change the culture and the world around us, find a place to pray. If you're not a part of the temple of God yet, don't leave this place without accepting Jesus. He'll be the best decision you've ever made. You might have come here today not even know why you came here, but God sent you here because you've got a seat at His table. You just need to claim that seat This morning.